at Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. This episode of the It's About the Money podcast is sponsored by Audible. Audible is the internet's leading provider of audiobooks and audiobook services. If you would like to claim a free audiobook, go to audibletrial.com slash the money. That is audibletrial.com slash the money and sign up for your free trial today. Hello and welcome to episode 111, 111 of the It's About the Money podcast, the AL Division Series, about the AL Division Series champion, New York Yankees. My name is EJ Fagan and tonight I'm joined by Dr. Paul Semendinger. Hey, hey, EJ, how are you? I am fantastic. I am also joined by Mr. Jim Carruthers. Walking on sunshine, EJ. And the wonderful, last but not least, Andy Singer. Why, thank you, EJ. Hey, everyone. We got a full house. Yeah. So, uh, so the Yankees did something special last night. Uh, how uh, how did you guys feel about uh, about Game Five? Oh, what a game! I mean, I, I predicted CC to have a big game, but uh, to be honest with you, I think the way things went in that game, I almost think CC's been his contribution has been undersold, given that he only pitched four and a third. But to strike out nine guys and even play a little defense there, catching that pop up, I mean, I was pretty much yelling at my TV the whole game. I don't know about you guys. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, in addition to his, his various uh, pitching and fielding contributions, it was nice to see a, a Yankee uh, player leave a permanent scar on the infield uh, as <laughs> progressive also. I mean, that can't be ruled out. He, that field will always remember CC Sabathia. <laughs> yeah, so I don't want to nitpick that game a little bit, but I had one problem with Girardi in that game, and that was bringing in Chapman to start the eighth inning. Mm. Um it seemed to me like, like like Tommy Conley was the man for that spot, and you really saw Chapman struggle in the ninth inning. Like his velocity was down to ninety six, ninety seven. Uh, did you guys kind of have that that same feeling? Like 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 maybe in a bigger picture, like Girardi is restricting his bullpen choices too much. Uh, I'm going to disagree respectfully there, EJ. I, I I loved it. I in that situation, I want to go to my best guys, and I think the best guys were D Rob and then Chapman. Now again, we're, maybe we're spoiled with memories of Mariano Rivera and uh, two inning or two inning plus saves or whatever. But I would have done the exact same thing. So I was happy with that, and uh, and it, and I was also happy they got two runs in the top of the ninth, so we didn't have to live through a stressful bottom of the ninth. Yeah, I actually agree with Paul on this one. I, I loved bringing in Chapman. I think the reason it looked bad was the fact that uh, Chapman had to sit there for 25 minutes to a half hour. So he did, just didn't look loose initially. And eventually, as the ninth inning wore on, he gained velocity and he looked more like Chapman. So I think it maybe looks worse in hindsight, given the velocity in the ninth inning. But I think Girardi did what I think most of us would have asked him to do at the outset of the playoffs, which is ride your best bullpen arms. Yeah, I think it's it's hard to argue from that perspective. It's a it's a pretty aggressive move to go chap there, um, but I mean, 
I, I kind of agree with EJ. I mean, you, you have options. That's the thing. If you bring in Canely, you, you, you still have, you know, there's other quality arms other than Chapman, so you don't have to stretch him as a two-inning guy. I think he struggled with that at times in last year's postseason. And, and yeah, you can make the argument that at least this way you can live to fight another day. But you got to wonder if it's going to start compounding because he's, he really hasn't been a long man uh, since he transitioned from uh, from Cuban baseball. So um, it, I, I don't know what it's going to leave left on the tires. I mean, obviously that's, that's a luxury that the Yankees have, but it's uh, I'd like to see Can- some combination of Canley Green and, uh, and Batances there would, would have been fine for me. Yeah, I mean it's a small complaint. The Yankees won the game. I'm not going to. I'm not going to really, you know, boo Girardi over this or anything like that. Um, but it, it's it feels like the there could have been an extra inning or two that series out of Chad Green and an extra inning or two out of Tommy Canley, and the Yankees would have been just as fine. Those are great pitchers. Um, that, that's a small complaint. I want to move on. The Yankees have announced their starting pitching rotation for the upcoming series. Uh, they are going to pitch in game one. They're going to pitch, as I slowly Hiro Tanaka. Hiro Tanaka. In game two, they're going to pitch Luis Severino. Luis Severino. In game three, they're going to pitch Theo Sabathia. In game four, they will pitch Sonny Gray, and then they'll go Tanaka, Severino, Sabathia for five, six, and seven. Uh, let's go with Paul first. Paul, what did you th- what did you think about the this the starting rotation? Would you have set it up that way or differently? Um. That's a tough call. You know what? Sonny Gray has not looked good. He hasn't looked good that, uh, towards the end of September. Didn't look good in his one postseason start. Uh, CC has looked great, but I don't think he's more than a five, maybe a six-inning pitcher. I think he showed that last night. He was unbelievable. I'm going to agree with Andy. He His his, his uh, contribution gets underlooked or, or, or overlooked or undervalued because he was a beast. And they got four hits off him at the end there. I think a couple of those uh, were... were uh, the, the one guy, the catcher, he hit it to right field. I don't think he was trying to go to right field. The announcers were all impressed. But that being said, <laughs> the, the Astros, uh, they, they're a lot more right-handed hitters than that Astros lineup. That can hurt you. And and I'm, I'm scared about CeCe pitching a, against them. So I, I might have moved Gray up to three. And the only other complaint I have is Tanaka's got such great home and road splits. I'm not thrilled with pitching him on the road. Jim, what do you think? Yeah, I, I think so. That the second point, I'm jealous of you, Paul, because uh, that's I was waiting to pounce on Tanaka at home. Um, it's it's real. Yeah, his splits are so severe. I, I got to echo that. Um, yeah, and with respect to the righties, I mean, the, the biggest thing that the Yankees did right um, in this season, uh, in this series against Cleveland, is that they didn't miss mistakes. So when Kluber left the ball up, um, you know, Didi or uh, Brett, if it was elevated at all on the inner half, they mashed it. Um, the tribe, on the other hand, really struggled with that. I, mean, I think their hitters are, are kind of, you know, not to knock them, but they're they're not the level of their righties are not the level that they're of Altuve, Correa, and Springer. Um, if CD, if CC elevates, uh, he, he's going to get destroyed, and, and especially with Correa and Springer, where they can get outer half plate coverage, um, that two seamer and the changeup are going to be, you know, more out of play. It's going to be important for him to drill it in and get that back foot breaking ball. Uh, which is not his strength, uh, but he's going to have to do something to keep him off because otherwise they can just creep out uh, and put fall, uh, you know, put balls into that that weird glass train station thing that they haven't left. All right, Andy, so your I, opinion. Go. Yeah, so I actually love the 
bookend number one and number four starters that the Yankees are rolling out here. I think Tanaka kicked his game up to another level both at the end of the season and in his start during the ALDS. I think he's shown that he truly is back to ace form. I mean, his splitter was almost unhittable, and I don't care what ballpark you put him in. If he pitches like that, nobody's going to touch him. So I feel really good about pitching Tanaka in game one. But then beyond that, frankly, uh, Gray showed that there's reason to be worried. I mean, since he came to the Yankees in the second half of the season, his uh, fielding independent pitching shows that maybe there's more to the underlying numbers that show that maybe his ERA isn't uh, as good an indicator of the way he's pitched as it seems. And I think his first playoff outing for the Yankees showed that he leaves a lot to be desired. I don't think his stuff is really crisp right now. So I think that's why you give CC the nod in game three over gray but overall i i think the yankees rotation is a lot better than if people give it credit for and honestly i don't i almost don't care how they lined it up because i think that all four of these guys and at some time or another have proven that they can pitch in big games all right so i'm going to disagree here a little bit so i want to structure this conversation a little bit let's talk about tanaka first i i think that the tanaka home road stuff home road splits is just stupid right Masadir Hirotanaka was bet much was a what a full run better at home than on the road this season. Last season, the 2016 season, he was a full run better on the road than at home, which means that there's no consistency to this, which means it's probably luck. And let's think about Tanaka for a second. What is Tanaka's problem? Tanaka's like Achilles' heel are home runs, allowing lots of home runs. What is the worst park to allow home for home run allowing? allowance, whatever, in the major leagues, Yankee Stadium. It would make sense for Tanaka to be worse at home, especially against lefties or righties that go the opposite field. He is, he has not, because he has not been consistently bad at home, I think this is just a blip. Stackhouse numbers show that his expected Woba is just basically the same home and on the road because Tanaka is bad, was bad over a short stretch and was, and is bad allowing home runs. I think we can just chalk it up to luck that those home runs that were bad just happened to come while he was he was at home and it's just luck um i have no problem with tanaka starting game one that, that get, lets him start game five that makes him available out of the bullpen game seven i'm perfectly fine with that i don't have any complaints there does anybody here want to make a strong counter argument to me on tanaka no you convinced me <laughs> former college debater no, i, I agree to be good at this yeah yeah, I agree with you 100%, DJ. I think, like I said, I think Tanaka, I agree with you that the home road splits are really just kind of nonsense numbers and small sample size. And I think that the underlying numbers show that Tanaka has been pretty awesome since the beginning of the second half of the season, and I'm ready to roll with him. So Tanaka is, Tanaka game one, right, that's kind of the first decision the Yankees had to make. I think Luis Severino game two is a no-brainer. That's his regular rest day. That gets, sets him up to pitch game six. Potentially, I think, game one of the World Series, right? So that's fine. Severino's great. Now let's talk about the next decision the Yankees had to make, which was to give CC Sabathia a second start or to give Sonny Gray a second start. Now, the argument is that Sonny Gray has been bad lately. We think we, I think we all agree that Sonny Gray is a, a better true talent player or might, well, maybe, maybe, maybe he's not at the moment, but then CC Sabathia. Um, but Sonny Gray has had about four or five bad starts in a row. Um, the Yankees did not go back to Sonny Gray when they had the chance for game five of the ALDS, and they are again not giving him the chance to go again in game uh, for two starts in the ALCS. Uh, 
is this just a matter of, of Sonny Gray being bad or Sabathia kind of pitching his way into that those two starts? Uh, Jim, you go first. I think it's, I mean, I think you, something you've pointed out in, in the past, I think Girardi loves his veterans, uh, and, and CC has certainly pitched uh, admirably in the postseason. Um, I think if I was in the Yankees' office, and they, they've yet to return my calls, but if I was, <laughs> uh, the thing that would concern me about Gray, not is so much like the home run or, um, or, or even, I mean, the, the contact numbers for me, uh, yeah, it's it's not great. But uh, he played. He came from Oakland to New York, and he went from you know Yellowstone Park to you know set, you know to a, a little league park. Um, his walks are what what bothered me, uh, and and that and maybe that's the the determining factor between a, a three or a four starter, and, and that's the argument that if you can make, I just I'm of the opinion that power tends to dry up in the postseason, so I would have liked to see him at three. At, at going against predominantly righties at a time when uh, hitters, even good hitters, tend to hold the bat a little too tight, uh, and, and they're forced to get you know less powerful contact rather than CC, who we know, um, you know getting righties really isn't his thing. He did great against Cleveland, but um, I think he's going to be challenged. Uh, Andy, do you have an opinion on this? Uh, yeah, actually, uh, just to add to that, and this is something that isn't really quantifiable, but I think it's really important to note, we've already seen CC prove throughout the season that he has figured out a way to pitch even when he doesn't have his best stuff. And I think we saw an example of CC a couple nights ago, where, or last night rather, where he had everything working for at least three innings. But I think CC has proven that he's learned to, he's channeled Andy Pettit and every other popular phrase you want to use about CC Sabathia. He's learned to move the ball around and he can get by even when he doesn't have his best stuff. Because Sonny Gray's outings are so predicated on the use of his curveball, if his curveball is just a little bit off, he gets into a lot of trouble really quickly. So I think that's troublesome for Gray. If he shows up on an October night without his best stuff, I think we have to worry about seeing him twice in in a, in a short series. And I think moving forward, I'm fine with seeing a four-inning outing from CC two, on two occasions rather than maybe hopefully we hope for one good outing from Sonny Gray. All right, so while you guys were talking, I was I was pulling up the StatCast numbers and doing some math. Okay, so over the season, Sonny Gray has been an above-average pitcher in terms of expected Wobo. That's probably a little bit better statistic than a FIP or an ERA to, to evaluate Sonny Gray by because Sonny Gray has a peculiar, peculiar batted ball profile. So he's a point, uh, a, a, he has a, an expected Wobo, Wobo over the full season of 0.312, which is good. It's an above-average. I think it's better than CC Sabathia. Over the last seven starts, so every start since September 1st, he's averaged a .35 Wobo. So significantly higher and below average. Not horrible by any means, but consistent with an ERA of about 4.5. So, so worse than CC Sabathia. And those, that includes his last two starts, September 28th and uh, October 5th, where he had a, an, on the 28th, a 5.13 Wobo, his worst start of the year. And in the playoffs, uh, he had a 399 Woba. It's still pretty bad. I think if I'm Joe Girardi, I think I, I think I'm okay starting Sabathia here twice because I I think he's more reliable. I I think it's perfectly plausible that Sonny Gray, who spent all of last season injured and is a small guy for ba- for a baseball player at least, is tired. The guy's five ten, one ninety. You know, he's pitched a lot of innings this year. He's you know he's coming off an injury. 
I, I think that's a perfectly plausible explanation there. And at this point, I would consider, though, probably not to pull the trigger on Jordan Montgomery over him. Wow. I think the the Jordan Montgomery point is is kind of feeds in. I, I think the 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 one nice thing about how this works out is that CC and Sonny, the the two you know projected shortest starters uh, of the four man, um, come after an off day. You know they get the off day in between for um, between game two and game three, and that's nice because realistically they're going to need every ounce of their bullpens to get through those two games. Um, even if even if it goes well, if Gray gives you five or six, and CC, I think five would be. I think we'd all sign up for that right now. Um, so I think Jordan Montgomery is probably a name that you're going to hear at some point during the season to either give you long innings and a lost cause or after a quick exit um, with a lead, maybe trying to get you some length. I'm going to piggyback on, okay, any, any, I'm going to piggyback on something you were saying, for, EJ, before about uh, Gray maybe uh, breaking down. You know, uh, we, we, we have the luxury of looking at this from a distance and – the one thing that, that we have to keep in mind is sometimes they know things. Well, it's always they know things that we don't know. And and because of the fact that Gray has been so unsharp and, and he hasn't been pinpoint control and he's been walking a lot of guys, that tends to uh, indicate that there is maybe some type of fatigue. Or um, In fact, they were saying the same thing about Kluber, that he was leaving his pitches. They were just a little bit flat. He was leaving his pitches up. And maybe the same thing's going on with Gray. Maybe he's just uh, he's spent. And so they, they put him at the I mean, end. I'll give you a couple of other statistics. Fastball velocity has gone down by about a mile per hour uh, on average. His uh, looks like his swings and misses have been cut in half, if not a little bit more than that. Um, looks like his spin rate has stayed pretty constant. That's something he's always been good at. So, yeah, it looks like there's some evidence, like, beyond just the results that, of what you're saying, Paul, that they might actually – he might just be getting a little beat up. Yeah, I also think it's possible that there are other explanations for that. And obviously, we're just guessing here. But uh, being tired can absolutely lead to a mechanical breakdown. But to be honest with you, for a guy with his height and the fact that he's 5'10 does matter off of the mound with regards to getting fastball playing. So if he's off even a little bit mechanically at that height, yes, he will lose velocity. But more importantly, he'll lose fastball playing, which also hurts the efficacy of his curveball. So I think there are a lot of explanations for what's going on here. So maybe he's tired and that changes his mechanics. Either way, I think it leads to somebody that fans don't trust. But more importantly, I don't think Joe Girardi trusts Sonny Gray the same way that he trusts CC Sabathia right now. And of course, Gray would be available in a game six or seven, probably out of the bullpen uh, if, if need be, and a game one if need be, hopefully not. Uh, just to let, just to say, I pulled the reader, our, our listeners on Twitter, uh, and uh, we, we got 100 votes. I asked game one starter Tanaka or Sonny Gray, and we got 50 votes for Tanaka <laughs> and 50 votes wow. for Gray, uh, which is just wonderful. It's, a, it's a very difficult to get not only a perfect split, but also get a, to get exactly 100 votes, which makes me very happy. Uh, before I get to the second thing I pulled about on on Twitter, I'd like to talk about Audible, our sponsor. We are sponsored by Audible.com. Uh, Audible.com is the Internet's leading uh, provider of audiobooks. I am a massive fan of Audible. As I mentioned uh, on, on the last episode, which was only two days ago, uh, my girlfriend and I both have Audible subscriptions, so we get one credit every month. For that credit, we can select any book in the Audible store, whether, whether it's three hours long or whether it's 60 hours long. And uh, that's and just exchange that credit for that book. We download the book, we listen to it, we try to coordinate so that we, we download different books and we can listen to each other's different books. 
Um, I get very excited when Audible Day comes along because I get to go to my Audible wish list and figure out which of like the 15 books on my Audible wish list I'm going to listen to this month. Uh, I listen to audible uh, audiobooks while I'm walking to work. I listen to audio, uh, audiobooks or podcasts while I'm at the gym, uh, sometimes while I'm working on some data for my, for my dissertation. I love audiobooks. And tonight, today, I'm going to recommend to you my favorite genre of audiobook, which is a book, an autobiographical book read by the author himself. And this book is called A Few Seconds of Panic by Stefan Fatsis. Uh, Fatsis is uh, he's over at Slate. He's on a Hang Up and Listen podcast. And he decided at the age of 40 that he was going to try to become a kicker in the NFL. And uh, Fatsis was not, a, and it was not a kicker. He was a, a moderately good beer league soccer player and convinced an owner of, I believe, the Dallas Cowboys to, uh, to let him into the team and practice with the team for, for a spring training and try and make the team. He did not make the team. Uh, but he had some great stories to tell, and he tells it all in his own voice. To claim your free audiobook and to listen to a few seconds of panic for free, go to audibletrial.com slash themoney. Please go use that promo code and not some other promo code so they know who sent you. And moving on, we are now going to talk about the 25th man on the roster, a, a topic which I am more excited slash angry about than I should be. Uh, so... Matt Holiday, I'm calling the 25th man. He did not have a single at-bat in, I believe, a single at-bat in the Cleveland series. He hasn't hit in over a week. He barely hit at all. He basically rode the bench for all of September. And so I'm going to ask, looks like Andy is up to be first next. Andy, should should uh, Matt Holiday or somebody else be on the uh, on the, the Yankees' 25-man roster? And if if you're going to replace him, who do you replace him with? Well, I think it really depends on what Girardi's plan is. I mean, if it's going to be like the Cleveland series where he sits at the back end of the bench because obviously Matt Holiday doesn't do anything for you defensively. He's a DH only. He looked really tired at the end of the year. So basically, you would have Holiday in the lineup purely as somebody who could maybe run into a finesse pitcher and go yard off of him, run into a fastball here and there. So obviously, there are guys on Houston's roster that are like that. So maybe, particularly given the fact that the Yankees got zero production out, out of the DH slot, maybe they give Holiday a game or two, in which case, okay, maybe I can see Holiday on that roster. But otherwise, if he's just sitting there just in case, I really don't see the point of using a 25th roster spot on him. And one of the really egregious mistakes in the ALDS that got overlooked was Torres getting picked oh, off of God. second base oh. late in that game too. Oh. So I think the need for a real pinch runner in situations like that is has become more of a necessity, particularly given a gaffe like that. So in place of Holiday, I would love to see one of either Tyler Wade or Clint Frazier. As we've discussed previously, they both have positional... For, versatility, particularly Wade. But beyond that, they're probably two of the best base runners on this team and they can fill in all over the field. So I think Andy, it makes I'm a lot of sense. Pick one. Wade or Frazier? Uh, I'm a, <laughs> uh, you know, I love them both, but I, I, w- I would pick Wade just because of the positional versatility, but I think the Yankees would probably pick all right, Frazier. Paul, do you keep Matt Holiday no, or do I you replace him? him? It's obviously they have no use for him. And, and I'm going to echo everything Andy said, except I'm going to pick the other guy. I'm going to pick Clint because I think he can at least hit the ball. I don't have any faith in Wade right now hitting the ball. <laughs> All right. Jim, who do you pick? Or do you, or do you keep Holiday? Well, 
I, I keep holiday because I, I just think the, the postseason experience is substantial. If you if you utilize if you actually use him as a DH, that frees up Ellsbury to be a pinch runner, um, where where Ellsbury can actually contribute. Um, and looking at some of the you know if, if they march, you know I, I think Holiday can still run into a fastball. Headley didn't inspire a whole lot of confidence with me down the stretch, um, either. I, I mean in, in the I'm sorry in the last couple games of the uh, ALDS, and uh, I would rather see righty on righty than see Ellsbury occupy a DH position. So um, I think I think Holiday's a pro hitter and he's been there before, which I think getting back to holding the bat tight. I think he's less prone to do that because uh, because that's not his first go around. So uh, here's my problem with Holiday, and, and I'm I'm going to say this, and it actually worked out very differently, and so I was wrong at the time. I think I mentioned this on, on the podcast two days ago. So if, if the premise is if Matt Holiday is in the roster, he is a right-handed hitter who's either the DH uh, if a lefty is starting, or he's a guy who pinch hits against a tough lefty. Tough lefty is Andrew Miller. The guy he could have pinch hit for was Greg Bird. And he didn't. And in fact, Chase Headley was the guy, not just for Greg Bird, but in other situations, was like the go-to pinch hitter uh, when he wasn't DHing against the against the Cleveland Indians. I just don't understand which left-handed hitters we expect Matt Holiday to be in for. Is he going to? He didn't DH. He didn't pinch hit at any time, any given time for Jacoby Ellsbury. He didn't pinch hit for Chase Headley. I think the Yankees probably correctly believe that he is a worst player. A worse hitter right now than either Ellsbury or Chase Headley. They, he has he's ba- he barely batted in September, let alone in the last week. So I I, I am I, here's the problem though. Clint Frazier, I'm not convinced is that good of a hitter at the moment either, and I don't think Tyler Wade's a hitter at all yeah, at the no. moment, right? I, Tyler Wade, I think, is a, essentially a glorified pinch runner if you put him on the roster. So I'm I'm yeah, going with option bullish. number three. Uh, and I want to say that uh, option number three. We also we also did this poll. Uh, on Twitter, uh, and so we polled. We said 25th man for the ALCS: Matt Holiday, Clint Frazier, or Tyler Austin. The results were 38% said Matt Holiday, 60% said Clint Frazier, and 2% said Tyler Austin. So one guy, whatever one guy is out there with me, I'm going with him and Tyler Austin. I think Tyler Austin is a better hitter than any of these guys at the moment. I know he hasn't played a lot lately, but when he has played, he's looked absolutely fine. He can, in a pinch, play first base better than Matt Holiday, play outfield better than Matt Holiday, probably not better than anybody else in the roster, but he can still do a little bit of that. And I think he's a better DH right now, especially against lefties, than anybody on this roster. I'm putting Tyler Austin in. What do you think is actually going to happen? I think Matt Holiday is going to stay in the roster. Because that's... Joe Girardi was a relief from Joe Torre because Joe Torre was this horrible... Not, okay, I'm not going to say horrible. I used to say horrible. My first blog was called Fire Joe Torre. Um, was this annoying manager who always favored the veterans over the superior rookies. For example, defensive replacementing Melky Cabrera in right field with Bernie Williams. That happened once. Uh I think Joe Girardi is developing some of those same tendencies, probably probably just from being around for so long. I think that's just like a thing that managers will do if they play for too if they if they stick around for too long. And so I think he's going to favor his 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 veteran, even though he was unwilling to use the veteran once once in the series against the Cleveland Indians. Um, but I I would predict Matt Holliday is on the roster. 
Yeah, I think that's a fair assumption. Uh, Girardi clearly has a soft spot for him. And hey, I mean, we've seen Holiday run into fastballs. And at the beginning of the season when he was healthy, uh, you know, he was very productive. And uh, if you were to tell me a week from now that Holiday had a big pinch hit home run, the way this season's gone, it wouldn't surprise me. But I think there are more useful pieces on the bench. And actually, since you mentioned Tyler Austin, I'm almost convincing myself that that's I'm a good great idea. I'm good. I, I got it. I, uh, persuasion is my goal. Um, all right. Uh, any other thoughts on the roster? Should the Yankees can, can still uh, consider switching out any relievers, any other position players? Any last thoughts? Can we dump Jaime Garcia? That's a good question. Okay, so we, why are Jaime Garcia and Jordan Montgomery I'm, on the same I'm roster? I just want to put that question out there. Yeah, Exactly. Like, and Jomo was better than Jaime. You that's, also that's had you, we we so. ran into situations during this the, the the series where you would have wanted you would you would have needed or could have used Tyler Wade as just a designated pinch runner. And when you have two long men just kind of sitting out there, it doesn't it, it they're just not able to to you're not contributing. If somebody got injured, you could sub yeah. in Jaime Garcia, right? If a starter got injured, you have that option, and you probably still wouldn't use him. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, totally with you. I got to admit, I sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, no, I kind of li- actually like Jaime Garcia as a lefty on lefty guy. He fits that mold a lot better than Jordan Montgomery. So I, I think there could come a situation where you've got a really tough one out situation, and I could see using Jaime Garcia there instead of bringing in. Uh, Chapman, if it was, say, the fifth or sixth inning and you needed to get one to two outs and a tough lefty block in the lineup. But beyond that, I 100% agree with you guys that Montgomery and Garcia taking up two roster spots, it's absolutely superfluous. So you could fit Tyler Wade or Clint Frazier on the roster and then still squeeze Tyler Austin in. Uh, and I just, want, I just did the math really quickly. Since coming off of the disabled list, uh, Matt Holiday has an expected WOBA of 0.312. So not as bad as he's looked, but still well below average. Uh, so let's move on. We're going to move on to preview the our opponents, our adversaries, the Houston Astros. Um, so the Houston Astros are probably the second best team, and we're, we're, we're probably the second best team in the American League this year. So the first question I have for you, Jim, is what are the Astros good at and what are they bad at? Oh man! Um, well, it, the good. It, <laughs> I'll take the easy. Yeah, what are they first. bad at? Quickly, uh, help me. They. <laughs> I don't. I don't know. Yeah, immediately. I, I think. So the bad part. Yeah, there's. So there's some. I, I think that their bullpen, as as evidenced by that that questionable, you know, Verlander move. Um, their bullpen's got some holes in it. The problem is you got to actually get to the bullpen. I mean, the good news is that Verlander against the Yankees doesn't have a, a, a whole lot of success, um, and I think that if Keuchel's off, they could they could mash him. Um, but that's that's those are two big ifs. Um, I, I think what they're good at. I mean, this team destroys mistakes. I mean, they they've got solid power. You know, they, they've got you know Corey George Springer. I keep calling him Corey Springer. Um, he hit leadoff a lot this year, 34 home runs out of the leadoff spot. I mean, that's just absurd. And um, he's just the beginning. Correa, I think, is 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 like a – I mean, his level of talent, I I think he's like 
he's like what everybody thinks Machado actually is. Um, and um, he, Altuve, who somehow is in the same category as Aaron Judge, um, for totally different reasons and totally different dimensions. But they're they hit the ball well, and, and they do all the little things right, like fielding and uh, and base running. So they're a tough out. I don't think they're as good as the Tribe, but I also don't think they're going to vapor lock the way the Tribe did. So I actually like their offense a lot better than Cleveland. So that uh, that part of the Astros kind of scares me. Uh, to me, the only easy out in the lineup, uh, relatively speaking, is Carlos Beltran. But I don't think any of us would be surprised the, that you know he went yard, given that he's an ex-Yankee and he's going to come back to haunt us. But beyond that, they, it's an offense that makes a ton of contact. They're, they're not necessarily hackers, but... They're not willing to work at bats the way Cleveland is, so maybe it's something of an Achilles heel as the series goes on if if the Yankees show some pinpoint control here. But it's a contact-oriented offense. It's a really good offense. Uh, the bullpen is the only thing on this team I could say is a weakness from a roster perspective. However, a couple of key things that were done to this roster for the playoffs. Joe Musgrove, who was sort of a fringe starter during the season, has moved to the bullpen, picked up three to four miles per hour velocity, and is a real weapon out there now. Lance McCullers, who's a who is a big-time starter but is always banged up, is coming out of the bullpen and can pitch multiple innings. So that's a huge weapon for them, kind of Chad Green-esque coming out of the bullpen. So uh, that, those are things that could now be a strength for the Astros that were once a weakness. But as evidenced by Verlander pitching in that last game against the Red Sox in the ALDS, I think a real Achilles heel for Houston is their managing and bullpen usage by the manager. I think that he showed during the ALDS, he's still figuring out what he wants to do back there. And I think that could lead to indecisiveness and I think it could lead to some mistakes. So I would say okay. coaching. Uh, that's uh, So the, the so they, they had the best offense in the American League. We know that. Um, they also had, I think, a pretty good starting rotation. I'm probably worse at the front end, but better at the back end than Cleveland. So they're going to be pitching. I don't know what order they're pitching in. Keiko's going in game one. And I don't know if, if Verlander is going to be back for game two. Presumably he's game three. Uh, yeah, I, I think it's Keiko, Morton, and then uh, Verlander. And then I think it's Peacock okay. as the um, five and so, Yeah, so Peacock will probably be... Peacock or McCullers will be their, their fourth starter, probably. Um, and the other will likely be out of the bullpen. Um, so... I think the there's a couple of interesting things here. One is the Cleveland pitching staff was overwhelmingly right-handed. It was a bunch of righties and Andrew Miller for the most part, and that's not all that. that you know, there, there's lots of of, of righties. There, you know, the Dallas Keuchel is the only lefty in the rotation, but they don't kill righties as much. So I'm going to quote a tweet from uh, our longtime uh, blogger, uh, almost first-time podcaster. He couldn't join us tonight, but he hopefully will be joining us soon. William Tasker. Uh, so William wrote, quote, the Yankees shouldn't be too concerned about the offense struggles of right-handed bats, read Aaron Judge, Starlin Castro, Todd Frazier, Gary Sanchez, in the ALDS. By SOPS+, plus, so by, by relative OPS+, plus, uh, Cleveland was the third best since 1913. So Cleveland had the third best rota- uh, starting rotation against, or pitching staff overall, against right-handed batters. That doesn't excuse Judge striking out 16 of 20 and 16 of 24 plate appearances, but it does give you some hope that essentially it wasn't all the Yankee batters that you know the, they, they, that was just that good of a pitching staff. 
Um, so that's just kind of my note. My note there. I like that there's some more lefties coming out uh, uh, against Cleveland, and I, I just I expect Aaron Judge and Gary Sanchez to really respond and do much better um, against those uh, those left-handed pitchers. Um, but that that's a great lineup. I mean, if you look at their lineup, it's 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 intense, right? I mean, Jose Altuve is the only other player in the American League that has a claim of being as good as Aaron Judge. Carlos Correa put up a five-win season in 109 games, which is insane. He's just, he's fantastic, yep. right? George Springer is really good. He had a 4.5-win season, slug 522, played really good defense, suddenly learned how to do contact. Marwin Gonzalez is somehow, like, better than anybody on the Yankees other than Sanchez and Judge. Um, I don't know how that happened. Alex Bregman has turned it on lately. They have a lot of interesting players. They'll be kind of sw- switching in and out of the bench. Evan Gaddis, Yuliski Gurriel. It's a deep lineup. It's probably deeper. The only lineup that's deeper than the Yankees, um, you know, in the you know in the American League at least. And and so you know, I think it's going to come down to the Yankees stars need to outperform their stars, which means Aaron Judge needs to strike out less. Um, I think that's that to me is the the key to the series. Um, any other thoughts on the Astros? All right. No, I think you hit the nail on the head. Depth is key. However, I don't. Th- I think one big thing to note: their pitching staff is not nearly as deep as their offenses. And beyond that, uh, this basically the only lefty they have coming out of the pen is Tony Sip. And I don't think any of us are terribly scared of Tony Sip against Greg Bird. So I don't think they can neutralize the, that. Yeah. Um, oh God, I the, forgot about uh, him. And Tyler, was Tyler Clippard still on that team? Damn. Uh, I wonder if he made the postseason roster. That. Uh, oh, my gosh. Yeah, I'd I would love to see him, him too, That'd but I also can feel the poetry forming already about Tyler Clippard. Um, so that's all we've got. We're going to do some predictions really quickly. So I want to know how many games are the Yankees going to win in. I want to know, and I want to know one big uh, moment that you're going to predict all right, here we go. Aaron Dr. Judge Paul struck Dinger, out you go 16 first. times in the ALDS and 20 at-bats. Nonetheless, the Yankees are going to win this thing in six. The hero of the series is going to be Aaron Hicks. Aaron Hicks is going to hit three home runs in the series. He's going to throw a runner out at the plate who tries to score, and he's going to make one of those great catches in the gap that saves an inning and, um, and the Yankees' bacon, and he is going to be the... ALCS MVP. Uh, well, <laughs> and we'll draw on my blog post, I want him batting second, but that's a whole other story. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. All right, uh, Jim, what's your prediction? I actually think that given the... I think that the, the rotation has got nice names, but I actually think the Astros uh, are a, a little bit built on sand uh, in the rotation. I think the Yanks get to their underbelly. I'm going Yanks in five um, because I'm penciling in a win automatically against Verlander because the Yankees <laughs> own him. Um, and my uh, my MVP is uh, – and oh, the thought of Verlander at Yankee Stadium. I think he's going to get the shakes like Joe Nathan. I'm, I'm not even kidding. He's – they will break him. <laughs> I'll write that down in pen. And uh, I'm saying Greg Bird is oh, actually. The oh, hero. we have an MVP for uh, the ALCS. All right, so we have an, an Aaron Hicks prediction and now a Greg Bird ALCS MVP prediction. I think he's the best hitter. I think the MVP is okay, probably so you, somebody okay, like D Rob. Okay, the big moment comes from Greg Bird, but D Rob yeah, is yeah. the MVP of, of the ALCS. 
Yeah, he's he's a long man, strikeout man, and backup closer. All I don't right, know what Andy. else you want from a reliever. So. Okay, so I think the Yankees are going to take this one in six. I think the Houston hangs around for a little bit, but I think the Yankees have a lot more depth out in the bullpen, and I think that eventually overpowers that lineup. But for my big moment, uh, Jim hit on it. I think it's going to be Greg Bird. I'm a little more specific. I think they're going to that the Astros are going to make the mistake of bringing in one of Liriano or Sip, and that. Uh, Greg Bird's going to go deep off of a slider, not off of a cheap fastball on the inside corner. He's going to pull okay. a slider on on this one. But my MVP, I'm riding Didi Gregorius. I've been one of the few people who thinks that his progression hasn't been smoke and mirrors. I think he's awesome. He's my favorite Yankee at the moment, and I'm riding right. the Didi train guys, I'm, for I'm going more optimistic here. I'm going Yankees in five. I think Tanaka is going to pitch two dominant starts and become the MVP of this series. I think Luis Severino is going to have an excellent start in Game 2 and even better start in Game 1 of the World Series. I think Sabathia is going to be okay, and then they're going to lose the Sunny Gray game. So they're going to lose going for the sweep in Game 4. I will say I had the opportunity to buy tickets for Game 6 of the ALCS in Houston, and I declined because I'm predicting that there will be no Game 6 of the ALCS in Houston. Uh, so uh, the, my, my so Tanaka is my MVP. If I had to take a hitter, that's going to be awesome. I'm going to go with Brett Gardner. Brett Gardner is going to have six 20-pitch at-bats, no, 10, 10 pitch or more at-bats over the course of this season and personally knock out two Astros relievers <laughs> through pitch count alone. Uh, after, and then at the end of those at-bats, slap a single to right. Um, so that those are our predictions, everybody. We will be back next week, unless unless I am correct with the sweep. We will be back sometime in the middle of this series to talk about it. Um, and uh, uh, and if the Yankees lose, uh, we'll be talking about probably something else. But we'll be back here next week. Everybody have a great time. Please go to audible.com, uh, audibletrial.com slash the money. Claim your free audio book. And everybody else, this has been your It's About the Money podcast. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted.